The Better Business Analysis Institute presents the Better Business Analysis podcast with Kingsman Walsh. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Better Business Analysis podcast with me, Benjamin Walsh. Now, this week, we're talking about generative AI, and I'll explain what that is in a minute. If you haven't, uh, if you don't follow me on LinkedIn, then please do so. Follow our page, the Better Business Analysis Institute uh, page there, and you'll get updates uh, on new podcasts and the topics we talk about and some top tips for BAs. So uh, this week I posted a video intro for this podcast. It's worth watching. And um, it shows some of the more fun side of generative AI. And we're going to talk about generative AI today. And we're going to talk about why generative AI is important to BAs, but also to business and to the world, really. Uh, It has some really useful applications, more than just creating AI art or being a chatbot. And we're going to talk about uh, that in a minute. Before we dive into its practical applications, I will drip feed some examples as we go through. Uh, let's just start with what is generative AI, okay? Because I I wasn't actually that sure myself until I learned about it. Actually, not you know this year. Um, it wasn't it wasn't that long ago before I had to upskill myself and learn about um, machine learning. Um, I'd, I've used it, but I didn't really know what the formal definitions were or what the different categories were within the kind of AI family. So I, let, let me start up. We, we, I've just used the word machine learning. So machine learning is a class um, of, I guess, you could, it's, it's, it's not, you hear the word AI and you hear the word machine learning and it's not that clear what, what the, the difference is. Um, but machine learning is actually the, the, the class we talk about. So if you're doing a paper in machine learning, then you know that's the greater area uh, that we're talking about here. And that's around allowing computers, effectively, machines to... Uh, to learn, to be able to generate uh, productive information based on information that's been provided or generate new content. So that is quite uh, um, important um, um, for us to realize. And within machine learning, so there could be some basic, you know, um, programming that that uses machine learning to you know maybe apply to data sets or to draw a line in a straight line based on information that it's graphed beforehand machine learning very basic stuff but within machine learning there's more deep learning so there's more uh, deeper level learning using a huge data sets and within deep learning uh, we have generative ai okay so what is what's the difference between generative AI and what we actually sometimes just refer to as AI, but is actually more discriminative AI? So the two distinct patterns within deep learning are discriminative, and then we have generative. Uh, you know, a bit of a tongue twister there. Um, I think a lot of you would have uh, come across different use cases in 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 the last couple of years, which uh, applied what we call discriminative AI. Uh, and so I'll talk about that first. And discriminative AI is when we're using uh, this these models to classify or predict. Okay, so 
the data is trained on data sets with lay what we call labeled data and um, the model learns the relationship between the features of the data points of the what you fit into it maybe images for example and labels so for example um, you the model may not may know because you've fed it lots of pictures of cats and a lot of pictures of dogs the difference between a cat and a dog to a point that if you gave it a new a picture it hadn't seen before of a cat or of an animal or a pet uh, that was either a cat or a dog it could say this this I can tell you with you know pretty good accuracy that the image that you've sent me is a cat uh, or it's a dog okay so it is able to discriminate discriminate uh, the kind of input you've given it uh, based on its model and match so that might be quite useful for example to match images of really healthy uh, skin legions or, or moles for example and then it, you may have fed it a whole lot of healthy looking moles and you may have fed it a whole lot of very unhealthy looking moles which is skin cancer and when you take a photo of a mole that might be suspicious on your body, you upload it, it checks this data set and goes, actually, this is pretty likely in the kind of bad category and this is something you want to get checked out. So that's a good use case for that. Um, and, and the reason why it's actually machine learning or deep learning as opposed to just pattern matching, which you could do now, um, is that it learns... It learns the relationship between the features of, say, for example, that skin legion and the data points and the label. So it goes a little bit further and it goes, OK, look, I've never actually seen this picture of your mole that you've uploaded, but I, I've already classified lots of uh, moles uh, that look like that. And I know the distinct features. I know the color. I know the shape. Um, I know, you know, potentially a combination of those features. And so those data points, it starts to kind of really look at every single data point that makes up that image in that example. It can be text as well. And um, it now knows, hey, even though I haven't seen this exact photo before, you are, you are most likely going to be in this category. Okay, so that's discriminative um, AI. And that's useful. Uh, and there's heaps of... Um, examples there so for example feeding it uh, a system lots of different types of invoices uh, which are kind of maybe manu manually written or different formats and then the system learns that this field matches with this field in say Dynamics 365 and therefore you can um, scan every invoice that you receive and it automatically puts it into the same screen in CRM called invoice and so that's discriminative AI and you've probably used that before uh, it also is similar a lot of chatbot early chatbots uh, would use that uh, so it'd say you you would enter something I need help for this and so this it would then match that that what you had entered is similar to uh, other um, knowledge-based questions that we entered uh, with that kind of particular problem you're trying to solve and then it would match and then it would find that so a lot of the earlier day chat box um, it would um, it would use discriminative AI and that moves us on to generative AI which is much more interesting for, for me personally because I can talk about some of the fun sides but also uh, much more interesting in terms of how this might change our world and the world of business analysis so I guess I should say we haven't 
with discriminative AI and deep learning and machine learning, we've only ever, you know, touched the surface. There's still huge advancements in that area. And even that, you know, is is hard to, to, to realize that we haven't even applied a little bit of that. But when we look at generative AI, we even get to a next level. We look at the future, really, in terms of the use cases in which it can be applied. So generative AI takes new data that is similar, new data that is similar to data it's been trained on, understands the distribution of data and how likely a given example is and predicts, say, the next word in the sentence or the image that it's going to produce. Let me say that a, a, a kind of a better definition for that. Generative AI is a type of artificial intelligence that creates new content, such as text, images, and other media. And it does this by learning patterns from existing data, then using this knowledge, it generates new and unique output. So again, you might say, okay, second definition, thanks, Ben. Uh, still not 100% sure what you're talking about. So let's go through some of the steps uh, that these models use when we talk about generative AI. We already know that it's a type of artificial intelligence. Uh, we sometimes just say Gen AI uh, that generates new content based on what it's learned. Okay. It goes through a process of learning from existing content, and that's called training. And that results in what we call a statistical model. And then given a prompt, Gen AI uses the statistical model to predict what an expected response might be. Cool. Again, Maybe too complicated. So I've broken this down into three steps. Gen AI does the following things or requires the following thing. Forming a database, a data set, a specific data set. And that could be lots of stuff. And when we say data set, we're not talking about a small data set here for some of these bigger models. We're talking about large, huge data sets. Okay, and this is why some of the bigger companies like Amazon and and Google and Facebook um, and open OpenAI have, you know, they are, you know, 10 steps ahead in the race already because they already have access to this content, okay? They already have access to huge data sets. So they're already ahead of the game. It's going to be very hard to catch up. So you're most likely going to use one of their models as your starter base, okay? So and when I say form that database, you want it to have a whole range. If you want your model to be applied or used for, say, the medical area or, I don't know, construction, you, you know, you want to feed it every single permutation images sound uh text anything okay that it can learn from as long as it can read that information so you want to form this data set um and 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 that data set is defined we call the the kind of we call the forming of that data set or the output of that data set a model uh we input a prompt so we 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 give this model an input okay and then it takes that data set and it generates new content. So it's just three steps, kind of having a model, entering a prompt, and generating new content. And 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 so what does that actually mean? And again, I know that I don't want to just get into jumping to how we can apply this model, uh, model until we fully understand kind of the next layer down, process level two, two if you like, from BA language. Um, and I, this is important because I believe that not only will you use generative AI, um, you know, as an input-output tool, you may build your own. And 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 there's there's really important reason for that. You may start with one of these, like I said, um, 
big massive data sets but then you might refine that for a specific use case so um, if you were working in the medical area uh, maybe you were looking at x-ray scanning for example to look for uh, broken feet uh, yes that could be a matching discriminative AI tool but same example you may train this model just specifically uh, take the base model which is you know any image uh, kind of uh, model and then on top of that you might just apply huge amounts of kind of keywords to look for or key areas of Im of the image to look for break uh, fracture um, broken bone and a huge amount of images that look like that and, and and therefore these models would then be more refined to that specific use case so when I say train a model you might not build one of these you know 16 billion uh, parameter data sets as in you might just use the one from Google uh, but you could then take that model and then add your refinement on top of that for your use case and and I believe that there will be people uh, who will be uh, who literally there will be jobs that will be created around that the other side is prompt engineering like I said the input is uh, the output of your generative AI um, process is only as good as the input so the input we call uh, we call that a prompt, and being able to write a prompt like um, generate me a picture of a cat, that's a very simple prompt that anyone can write, and that's the idea of these tools, which is which is fantastic. They make them really accessible. The fact that there might be ways of writing that prompt to get a more accurate cat, for example, generate me a cat that is black, um, that will give you a better result. Uh, in terms of your expected output, it will most likely give you cats that are black um, over just generate me a cat, for example. There's a skill to that, and that skill is actually called prompt engineering. And because BAs are very good at providing clarity and and uh, they're quite concise with their requirement, you could argue that prompt and prompt engineering is all around capturing the right requirement and emphasizing what's important and what isn't. So if I said generate me a picture of a black cat, I may want to emphasize the cat. And for example, one of the tools I use, you need to put parameter uh, parentheses around the word black. So it emphasizes black cat is more important than just any cat. Okay, so prompt engineering and the skill around that uh, will be a new discipline. And actually, I, I can see BAs, uh, you know, leaning towards that. When we talk about the steps, and I, I, I do think this is important, if you're like going, okay, I kind of understand what you're talking about here, Ben. I do want to go just a little bit deeper in terms of how this process works. This, there are only four steps. It won't take that long. And when we go through this, I'll talk about some examples. So gener generative AI or Gen AI works, step one, what it requires to work is a model, okay? So, so you need to train a model. It's, it's, it, it, yes, it's a statistical model, but forget about the word statistics for a, sec a second. You're training a model like a, um, a text model or a, or a language model on a large data set of existing data. So that already exists. The data already exists. You're not generating the data from scratch. You are training it on a large data set. This data set can be anything. It can be text, it can be images, it can be audio, it could be pictures of, I don't know, the moon, for example. The more data that the model is trained on, the better it will be at generating new content that is similar to the data it was trained on, okay? 
So if we come back to our cat model, if our model data set, and you can do this, this will still work with say 10 photos of a cat. You could still generate a new picture of a cat that's unique and creative and never existed. But for example, if I've asked it to generate a black cat and I only have one picture of one picture that it knows about of an existing black cat, its chances of it generating you know, something that looks um, kind of similar to that is probably very, very low, and it's only one example. But it have, if it had been fed 10,000 photos of cats, or we're actually talking about millions or billions of parameters here, a billion photos of cats, which is why these companies like Google have an advantage over smaller companies, then it would generate a completely unique cat, um, but it would still have the right attributes of a standard-looking cat. It might have the ears in the right place, for example. Usually get faces particularly uh, 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 bad at this stage, but they they are getting better. So you could generate a very damn good looking realistic cat if it had lots of pram, uh, lots of information uh, in that data set. So number one is train the model on a data set. So you know maybe it's a cat generation uh, model, for example. The second part is to define the output format. So we need to then say to the model, what is the output we're looking for? Are we looking for um, a story about cats? Are we looking for it to generate um, uh, a, 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 a cat that, you know, the faces of a cat or, or, or a long range photo of a cat? So we need to find the output. And so what kind of content do we want the model to generate? Do we want it to generate text, images, or audio? And once you know the output format, the model can be fine-tuned to generate content that is specifically tailored to this format. So what that really means is that, you know, the large data set could actually be, you know, huge variety, unstructured data is what we call it. So you don't have to structure the data at all, which is fantastic. So this is when you dip into data science and have data lakes, just a whole lot of information. So you've got all this information around your civilian, for example, or Facebook's got all this information. Uh, then it can train on all that stuff and the, and, and the machine is learning, you know, all that unstructured stuff. So there's not much effort up front apart from just being able to feed it new content. Uh, what's important though is then to fine tune that model. So you might start with what's called a uh, foundational model. So so they are generally available uh, quite cheaply or, or free. Um, for example, OpenAI, uh, a lot of new startups are just using the OpenAI data set. Uh, and then they just send it these kind of fine-tuned uh, prompts effectively. So, for example, if you wanted to generate um, a system for medical use that was very um, good at picking up melanoma or, or, or moles that matched with uh, skin cancer, then you could take an existing model, so one of these standard models, which got billions of photos, and then you could say, hey, look, I really just want you to concentrate on on this area, like all these photos around um, skin legions and, 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 and feed it this kind of like refined prompt on top. So it's going to be much more accurate at just doing that one thing. Uh, and this is where these startups, uh, AI startups are all coming from because they just do one thing really well. Um, and of course, then the step three, so we've trained our uh, model and we've defined the output, what we're, what we're looking for, and we may have tweaked it. We need to provide it with a prompt. And this is what I talked about before. This is a short piece of text that tells the model what kind of content we want to generate. So for example, if you want the model to generate a text poem, you may provide the prompt, write a poem about X, right? So prompt, and I talked about that, prompt engineering, I think how you write that, the way you write it, 
where you emphasize what you want it to do is a skill and it's going to be uh, it's going to be in hot demand soon and then finally once we've provided the prompt we get our output okay so you've got an input you've got the the, the model that's been trained because that was step one and then you've got the output so your your output is only as good as your input and the, I guess the model in, in between and now how the model generates the content is it uses the prompt and the data it was trained on to generate new content the content will be similar to the data the model was trained on but it will be unique and creative okay and before we get into some specific use cases, I think it's important to know that there's two, there's two high-level categories within generative AI. There is language, so text, language, input, output, which ChatGPT is a language model. We call them um, large language models, okay? Uh, BART, which is Google's equivalent of ChatGPT, is a large language model, and Bing is actually using ChatGPT, if you didn't know that, uh, as a large language model. So it can generate text or translate or anything that's in the written word. word. So we'll talk about those in a minute. Um, and then you've got vision or image-based. So there are other engines like DALL-E or what I talked about um, with stable diffusion. So that might be an example where you're generating uh, AI art or putting your face on, I don't know, an actor's face, which is an example that I posted. Um, so that is visual-based. So they're the two distinct categories there so that is and and when we talk about the fact that we have a generative language models and we have generative image models if you like or vision models what does that mean in terms of its practical use and what does that mean for business analysis okay so in the language side we that means that we could use a large language model, for example, we could use it to generate marketing content, brand new marketing content that was unique. We could use it to generate emails. We could generate to write emails for us. We could generate it, use it to um, provide first line support without having a human involved. So that would be disruptive in the support contact center model. Uh, we could use it to take notes, uh, listen to... Um, uh, listen to a meeting, take notes, and summarize those notes, send them to the, to us. We could use it to just write our requirement specifications. Write me a requirement specification using this template with this input. We'll just generate that straight away because it's learned. You may have fed in or fine-tuned it on a huge amount of um, requirement specifications. The other side is in code. So when we talk about low code and you know apps and power apps, if you've played around with that or the Salesforce equivalent, um, we're actually getting to that point now where you don't need to code at all. So uh, these systems will code for you. It already knows the programming language. It knows the rules. So And it, it's already got examples, huge amounts of examples of that. So for example, uh, text to SQL is used quite a, long now, uh, a lot now. So you could just say, give me all uh, customers who have spent over $100 in the last week. Instead of knowing how to write that in SQL, which is select blah, 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 from blah, 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 the tool does that for you. So I don't need to go and ask a DBA. I don't need to ask a data analyst for that. I could just type that in. So that's going to completely change uh, the accessibility for an end user on doing things like that. Uh, it could generate uh, an app in itself. It could generate, generate me a website straight away. Now, 
obviously you need to then have skills to refine that and to make it unique and you don't want to have something that looks just like someone else's down the road uh, but there's some really good use cases in regards to some of the image stuff you know again generating the media generating social content design for example i think for a ba say give me a design concept for a website that looks like this based on these colors based on our logo based on uh, these ux properties if you knew how to write that prompt effectively and remember it's not a one-off you could generate content and then feed that content back into the into uh, as part of your prompt to generate you know more refined content this is a process here um you could generate you know a really good looking website which the user could sign off without even needing a designer for that first phase yes you might need a designer to finish it off and to do some more you know craft based areas but for that initial generation you know you there is an elimination there in terms of those steps so again what does that all mean for the ba or for business what that means is that these things continue to grow they there are continuous uh, continuous use cases and apps that are out there and um, so that's interesting in itself from a business point of view but from a from a business uh, from a kind of a business analyst point of view i think we need to consider when we're looking at uh, improving a process we're not just looking at reducing the time it takes or the fact that that could be what i would call automated uh, which is you know automation is really replacing the steps that a human can actually do it's copying it is to look at steps that a human might not do today or that it could be complicated steps which you can't just program so today we might say hey look uh say for example if you were riding a robot to um fulfill an order in an amazon warehouse you might say hey look if an order comes in for this number then that matches with this product that's on aisle three go get it you may not need to do that it could just be fulfill all orders okay and and because it, it it's already knows where all these things are at uh, you may not even need to give it as much broader instructions so that means that the possibilities and the use cases for using generative AI to go and do some activities means that it's much broader. So I'll say that again. Instead of saying, you know, I want you to follow step one, two, three, four, five robot, which is what you do today in, in, in plants, or do the following steps. So automation or RPA, follow this process. It could be a little bit looser to that. You don't need to really go down to process level five for this to do something. You could just say, generate me a model or answer the phone and it would answer the phone okay so that means for a ba going down to the nth degree if you were automating something you wouldn't necessarily need to do that plus you could look at your process steps at a higher level process level two and three and go is this a candidate for generative ai or can i improve this process if you were looking at continuous improvement and 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 generative ai is part of the solution here to rapidly uh solve that particular problem uh, you and your own job in terms of generating uh, requirement specifications i'm actually very tempted uh, i don't know if i get the time to do it to you know work with someone on generating an automatic uh, uh, requirement specification uh, ai tool based on you know great problem statement a uh, great idea of the business context um uh, an idea of some of the use cases it could actually generate that whole documentation for you saving a lot of time 
Uh, so that would be fantastic. It would be one use. One would be generating diagrams, uh, for example, automatically from, say, requirements or process. You could do your process steps and you could even ask it to generate you better versions of that process. Uh, could generate you better examples or apply this, uh, please generate me better ways of solving this process based on all knowledge you've learned around this industry it could give you um, examples that you never really thought about so that's a great example mock-ups for example will be uh, used uh, automation in terms of application the fact that you as a BA may use these tools to kind of miss out steps or people that you used to have to go and talk to in the past so talking to a DBA you could get information without having to necessarily um, you can plug it into a data set and ask questions without necessarily knowing SQL very well. Um, the other day, for example, I used a tool. It wasn't. It was generative AI. I just asked it um, if it could tell me a formula in Excel for something, and if it's just a prompt, and I just say, "Give me the." Um, Excel formula for the following and it generates the code automatically for me for Excel formulas so I don't have to spend you know two hours looking at the help manual or finding it out and I can specifically tell it the cells I'm trying to do so it's generative AI it doesn't just give me the pattern it actually gives me the right answer um, so that's perfect uh, coding I've used it for some very basic coding already and I've used it for more you know fun things like generating AI art uh, um, things like that but when you think about uh, images or, or text processing, you could generate a very um, rapid video for, say, introducing a new product or a new feature or demoing it. Uh, so the idea of having a PowerPoint presentation, you could generally, you know, maybe you could make that more exciting using uh, Gen AI. So they're just some examples, um, but, you know, we're really... Um, this technology is moving so quickly and some of those use cases just just continue to grow um and so you i, I do feel like bas are going to be impacted qu quite a lot in terms of their own job in terms of the tools that we can use to help business but also i think that we're going to be dealing you know we're literally going to be using uh, generative ai as a suggestion to to say replace uh, humans and so what does that mean in terms of the jobs that are out there going to be replaced by AI well not just the simple processing jobs which everyone thought about okay yeah that's going to be replaced by AI or technology like accountancy for example with zero doing that that was replaced by technology but actually now we're thinking about some of those basic jobs where people any processing job that you can think of where you're just taking information applying a pattern yes it could be a unique pattern in the input it might be different um, every time so you think oh we can't automate that well now you can with generative AI so, you know, processing tax um, uh, situations, looking for fraud, um, looking for, you know, shared IP or copyright breaches, all these kind of bits and pieces, generating legal documents, okay? So, you know, you start to see, look, look, this is affecting some of these, not just lower paid jobs, but actually impacting some of these larger, more what we call professions, because actually these tools can learn to be a bit of a professional themselves. If you want to learn more about generative AI, I think the best place to start, which I got some of my notes from, is there is free learning right now uh, available from Google. Yes, some of the slides are very Google-esque, as in they're going to talk about their models and what you can do there, but it's a, it's quite good. It's free. Uh, generative AI, look for free training on generative AI for Google, and you can work through that and understand a bit more. And I do think you need to learn this as a BA. So hopefully I have 
sparked your interest in terms of at least this topic and uh, we'll see you next time